Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you. Uh, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Jonathan Newfelt. I am the campus pastor here, and uh, it is a delight to be here with you this morning. Well, just before we get going, I, I have a couple more things I just want to let you know about what's going to be happening coming up. So, uh, for those of you who are new, you might not know, we are a campus of Central Church, and so our, our main campus, if you want to call it that, is down in Chilliwack. We also have campuses in uh, Agassiz and one coming in Lake Arock very, very soon. We'll be launching uh, this Easter, so that's actually very exciting. We'll have a new campus coming. But the reason we have all of these campuses, the reason we actually meet here in Promontory, the reason we actually you know, set all this stuff up is because we believe that the church is called to reach out into its community. There's a reason we meet here. It's because we actually want to have an impact on the people around us. We want to have an impact on this community in Promontory. And so there's a couple ways I want to let you know about how we're going to be doing that, what that practically looks like. So coming up, it's a little ways away now, Mar May the 4th, all right? You might say, wow, that, that's far away, but it'll actually come pretty fast. We're moving into spring break, and then comes Easter, and then it will be May. So it'll be here before you know it. But May the 4th, it's not a Star Wars night, but maybe it could be. Uh, May the 4th, we are having, we are hosting a date night for the families in this school. So what that's going to look like is we recognize the fact that in Promontory, there are a lot of young families, all right? There's just a lot of them here, and that's a blessing. And so a way that we get to serve our community is that we can actually say, you know what, parents, you don't often get a night off. Why don't you drop off your kids here? We'll take care of them. We'll feed them. And it'll be a fun time. You get a night to yourselves, right? You get a couple hours where you can just go out on a date. Maybe that's just sitting on the couch in quiet, all right? I don't know what that'll look like, but we get a chance to serve our community in that way. And so we've been talking with the school. The school has actually said, all right, sounds great. We like that idea. We'll actually even put it into our email newsletters. We'll help promote it for you in the schools. So we have this awesome, awesome opportunity to actually have a very, very tangible impact on our community. So what I'd like from you is to then say, I'm willing to actually serve. I'm willing to actually come and help and look after these kids and put that together. So if that's something you're willing to do, May the 4th, I just want to encourage you, sign up at the back. There's a way you can do that. The reason I'm saying this now is because you need to have a criminal record check done, right? So I just encourage you, grab that. The forms are at the back. They're all ready for you. You can just pick that up, sign up, and get that done. So I just want to encourage you, May the 4th, get involved there. The other thing I want to let you know, another way to get involved in our community, is on May the 10th. All right, I know these things are a little ways away, but May the 10th, this school is having a, a fun fair. They do it every single year, and they have invited us to be a part of that. They've asked us to do some face painting, uh, some games, and some crafts with the school as part of this fun fair. So if you are able to help out with that, that would be fantastic. Just to come rub shoulders with your neighbors, get to know them, talk with them, share a little bit about why we would come and serve, even if you don't have kids in the school. 
It's because we serve a God who has served us so mightily. So if, if either of those, if you're able to do that, May the 10th, by the way, that's a Friday uh, from 10 till 3 in the afternoon. So that's during the day. I know that not everyone can do that. But if you can, if you have the opportunity, the ability to actually come and serve during that time, I highly, highly encourage you get involved and let's actually have an impact. Let's build some of those bridges so we can share the gospel widely in our community. I'll, I'll be honest, one of the goals that I have is that people would actually say, I'm so glad there's a church in my community because they consistently bless us by being there. That's, that's really the goal we have so we can be sharing the good news of Jesus. All right, so uh, if either of those, if you're able to get involved with them, sign up at the back. There's all the information that you'd need there. Come talk to me. Love to fill you in more. All right, well, with that being said, let me invite you to open your Bibles. You can open your Bibles through Genesis chapter 12. And uh, we're going to be continuing on our series, Walking Through the Life of Abraham. We began this last week and looked at this man who's, who's genuinely had an impact uh, on a, a worldwide global scale, right? There have been millions and billions of people who've been impacted by the life of this man, and so we are taking some time to actually walk through what that looks like. But what's interesting is that it's not always a good thing, right? Abraham is not always doing the right thing. And in fact, what we're looking at this morning is definitely one of the low points of his life, right? We're going to be looking at when he really genuinely fails, all right? And so the question I kind of want to start with is just this. How do we react when our heroes fail, How do we react when the people that we look up to actually fall short and do what they're not supposed to do? How do we respond at that point, right? We can come up with, I'm sure, many, many different examples of people, especially celebrities, that have fallen from grace, if you will, right? If you're like me, I grew up watching the the Cosby show because it was a nice, family-friendly show. It it kind of has been skewed at this point, right? Bill Cosby's not exactly known for being Mr. Nice Family Values anymore. Now, actually, he's got a very different reputation, right? You can come up with more examples. You can talk about Tiger Woods, amazing golfer, seems like a good role model. Oh, but his personal life was very different, right? And we continually hear about these celebrities, people who, who seem to be doing well for a little while, and then it comes out later, oh no, actually this has been going on behind the scenes the whole time. And you might say, well sure, okay, that's going to happen in Hollywood, right? That doesn't happen in the church. Oh, except it does, right? There are pastors who abuse their authority, who are going on in secret affairs, all kinds of things going on behind the scenes, and that's where it oftentimes becomes far more difficult. What do I do when they're supposed to be doing what's right, but they're not? In fact, the Bible, as we go through it, is relentless in showing that the heroes in the Bible all have faults, right? Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, all of them at some point have a massive, massive failure in their lives. Moses literally killed a man and disobeyed what God told him to do. David slept with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. Peter denies Jesus and Paul persecutes the church. In fact, the Bible is continually showing us that the heroes are not perfect. And Abram is no exception to that. 
Right? If you were here with us last week, we, you know we started this story. God speaks to Abram and, and calls him, I'm going to ask you to leave your, your family, your land, your safety, everything that you have, and I'm going to call you, go to this land I will show you. And so Abram goes in this amazing step of faith and obedience. Abram trusts God and leaves and goes into the land of Canaan. It's Israel nowadays. And so God promises to Abram, I am going to give you this land. I will give you an offspring. I'll make you a great nation. And actually, I'm going to bless you as well. So Abram, go and be a blessing. And so we see Abram take this amazing step of faith. But this morning, before we even finish that chapter, everything's going to go sideways, right? Abram is barely out of the gate, and he is about to face plant on the ice, right? If you've ever seen little kids playing hockey, and the first kid steps on the ice, and just boom, he goes down, and then all the kids behind him just start piling up, boom, 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 right? That's essentially what Abram's about to do here. He's about to face plant, and everything's going to go sideways. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to ask the question, what do we do when our heroes fail? So if you have your Bibles with me, or with you, (laughs) let me invite you to follow along with me. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. This is what the Word of God says. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Then they will kill me, they will let you, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. All right, well, this is as far as we're going to read this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for this story. Father, that you call and that you work with people who are faulty and who are flawed. Father, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your redemption. Father, we know we have not earned any of these things, but you have so lavishly given them to us. Father, we praise your name. And Lord, I pray as we come before your word, would you be working in our hearts to conform us more to the image of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are really looking at a story of failure, right? 
This is, this is Abram failing as he goes out. And, and this is not kind of the, this is not the nice failure, right? There's sometimes where you see someone and they do this weird thing and you think, ah, oh, that really wasn't the right thing to do, but I get it. I mean, I get how they got there. That wasn't the right decision, but, but sure, I could see myself making that same mistake. This is not really like that. I don't know about you, but the, the temptation to sell my wife into a, an Egyptian harem is pretty far away from anything I can consider myself to have been tempted even to do. This is the ugly kind of failure. This is the kind of failure where you look at it and you go, he did that? Oh, why on earth did he do that? And I'll be honest, I, I am so glad that the Bible records these stories. The Bible tells us these things because it gives me so much confidence. If God can work with a guy like that, there is hope that he could actually work in me as well. So I want us to, to walk through this story because ultimately it is a story of redemption. But as we go through this, I, I want us to see a couple things. The first is as we look at Abram failing, I, I want us to see that both suffering and sanctification go together. All right, I, I know it's a big, big church word, so we'll, we'll get there, we'll define that, but suffering and sanctification go together. Second thing we're going to see is that in spite of all this, God is patient and faithful. And finally, that God is ultimately the one who will pay the debts. So how do we respond when our heroes fail us? Here's my one sentence answer. We remind ourselves that God is patiently at work in our trials and suffering to sanctify his people as he has redeemed them. So if you want a thesis for this sermon, there you go. That's how we respond but let's actually work, work through this passage, through this story, because I want us to see, first of all, that suffering and sanctification go together. Now, I, I know, sanctification, it's a big churchy word, so here's what it means. It means this, this process that we go through in our lives in which we slowly are changed to be more like Jesus, Right? And that's really what it looks like. It's this slow, step-by-step, -step, incremental growth so that our, our minds, our hearts, our actions, all of who we are slowly is changed to be more like Jesus, that we are more obedient to what he calls us to do. The moment we place our faith in Jesus, God begins this work of change in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can learn to obey his commands. But here's the problem. The problem is it doesn't happen all at once. In fact, it happens slowly throughout our lives. We continue in this process all the way until we die, and it takes our time. It takes our effort to work through it. In fact, Paul says in the New Testament, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Right? This is what sanctification looks like. It is trusting in Jesus. He has saved me, so I will work to be more like him. It's going to take effort. It's going to take uh, uh, determination. It's going to take our uh, 
our concentration, but ultimately it is done through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does that have to do with Abram? Right? What does that have to do with the story we've just talked about? Well, I think first of all, it should give us the framework to understand what's going on here. See, Abram, last week we looked at, he's just met God, right? In this amazing vision, God comes to him, speaks to him, gives him these blessings, says, you are going to go, I am going to do all these things, and then we read, very next thing he does, he's wandering away from everything God's just told him to. Why? Well, it's because he's still working in this process. He's still working in this process of sanctification. He's not perfect yet. He's learning how he is to follow God, and God is going to be working in him. So look back at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, now at first glance, this seems really rational, doesn't it? Right? Where he's living in Canaan, there's the famine, right? There's not a lot of food. It's getting scarce. And so Abram says, well, I'm going to go down to Egypt. They have plenty, right? I know we think of Egypt like a big desert, but actually with the Nile running through, it was like natural irrigation for the land. And so actually it was quite a fertile place to be. There's a lot of farming. And so he says, I'm going to go down there. I'm a nomad. Why not? That's where the food is. It seems like the right decision to make, except for what isn't there. See, every other time that Abram has moved, it's always started with a call from God. It's always been God has come to Abram, reminded him, called him, told him to go somewhere. This time, it's all by himself. Even though God had told him to stay in the land of Canaan, Abram shows actually he doesn't trust that God is going to provide for him there. See, the suffering, the the famine that came to Abram, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't a, a, a happenstance thing. Actually, I think God gave it to him, allowed him to go through that because it was going to expose a very fearful, untrusting, and selfish heart. See, the the suffering he was about to go through was going to put on display what was actually hiding in his heart. And let me say, God uses trials and suffering like that in our life as well. Right? God allows us to go through times of suffering and trials because he wants us to see what's been hiding there all along. Right? As soon as that sort of veneer of comfort is wiped away, all of a sudden we see all kinds of sinful motivations and desires seem to bubble out of us. Right? It's a little bit like if you have brand new floors in your house. You've got these beautiful hardwood floors. Right? And it looks perfect and pristine and God comes in and he grabs one of the boards and he just pulls it up. And you're thinking, what are you doing? And God's going, don't you realize it's rotten underneath? See, so often that's how our comforts work. It looks beautiful and pristine on the outside, but God pulls that back so we can see there's still sin underneath. Right? You, you might actually have a bit of an understanding of what this looks like uh, if you've been joining with us in this fasting. Right? It's one of the reasons we do fasting around Lent is because we actually want to pull some of that out because we don't want sin to be hiding underneath. 
right? So this last week we were fasting from food. So you might have noticed when you get hungry, it's very uh, common, it's very easy to also get angry, right? It's why we have this, this whole new word, hangry, right? You're hungry and you're angry at the same time. They go together, right? As soon as I get hungry, oh, I'm getting a little bit more frustrated. Everything's kind of on edge. But if you think about it, why are those two things so often together? What, what is it about hunger that should make us angry? Well, actually, it's not because hunger makes us that way. Rather, it's a heart behind it that says, I need something and I'll do whatever it takes to get there. I need food, and so I will lash out at someone because I have a need that's not being met. What that's actually showing there, and I can say this in my own life, oh, does that show a selfish heart behind there, right? A full stomach is hiding a selfish heart so often. And so God uses periods of of suffering and trials in our lives to actually showcase the places in our lives where we need to be working on those sins. But here's the good news. The good news is that for every sin that gets uncovered, everything that is exposed and confessed, God gives us more grace. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God places these trials in our way to uncover them, not so that we are just going to be horribly, you know, destroyed. It's so that we could actually gain more grace, so that we would be forgiven. That's why James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James actually says we can rejoice when trials come our way. Why? Because God's going to use them to work in our lives, to build up our faith. Another way to say that, to sanctify us, to make us more holy, to make us more like Christ. So we can actually look at the face of our suffering. We can look at our trials and we can say, you are nothing but the instrument by which God is going to work in me greater grace and glory. Are you going through a trial right now? Are you struggling? I could tell you many, many stories from my own life of how this always works out, right? I can tell you stories of going through the cancer treatments and thinking, well, what is going to happen now? I can tell you going through back injuries and infertility and death of family. I can say each one of them, God has been teaching me something about who he is and uncovering the sin in my life that I might serve him. So instead of asking, how do I get out? How, do, how does this ever end? Instead, ask as we go through our suffering, what is God teaching me? What is he showing to me about who he is? How is he revealing sin that needs to get cut out of my life? How is God building my faith in this? See, that's the truth. God is always going to be using these things to build up your faith God uses sufferings and trials to draw us to him. 
And so God's going to use the same thing in Abram's life as well. It's not just simply so that we get a story of him failing so we can make fun of him or so that we can just kind of feel some sort of like sympathy or empathy with him and say, ah, yeah, I, I, I get that wrong too. It's actually God is using that so that he can build up his faith to a greater place to sanctify him. Suffering and sanctification go together. But let's continue on in this story. Because God is doing even more in this passage than that. God is showing that he is patient and faithful even as Abram is faithless. All right, look back at our passage, verse 11. It says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. So Abram is heading down into Egypt, and as he's doing this, he's hatching this plan, right? Because he's doing it, and he's afraid of what's about to happen. And so he, he is, he's kind of wringing his hands, and that, well, how is this going to work out? He kind of looks at his wife and says, man, she is good looking, right? Now, this is kind of a sweet thing to worry about. He is actually worried, you know what? My wife is so hot, they're going to kill me because of her, right? It's, it's kind of sweet if not crazy, but nonetheless, he's worried that, okay, actually it's going to go really bad. She's going to be fine, but they're going to kill me. See, what Abram is doing here is he is working through this thing, and so he comes up with this plan. Say you are my sister. Now, that sounds like a bad lie, and here's the, the uncomfortable truth, is that's only a half lie, Right? Because Abram and Sarai were actually half-siblings, all right? They had the same father, different mothers. Is that uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. All I can say is it was more common at the time. All right. So he's coming up with this half-truth to kind of bend it away so that he will be okay. And do you see the heart that's being uncovered here? See, he, Abram says there's two options. There's two ways this could go. One... I get killed and you get married off. Or two, I live and you get married off. And so Abram says, well, the second sounds better for me. See, sin was very much blinding what he was able to consider at this point. See, he had never factored in, actually, you know what? Both are really bad for Sarah, for Sarai. And he had never considered, you know what? Maybe God could be at work in this situation. See, sin blinds us to what God is able to do. So what happens? Verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. It looks at first like Abram's plan worked out. It worked out exactly as he had contrived that it would, and it was horrific because he sells off his wife essentially into the harem of Pharaoh. He's only thinking about his own life. He's not thinking about his wife. Just to be clear in case it's not, 
the Bible calls husbands, lay down your lives for your wife. Abram is doing the exact opposite, isn't he? He's laying down Sarai's life to spare his own. But here's the thing. The amazing thing in all of this, as Abram is going all off the rails, is that God is still patient and faithful to his promises. Right? Think about this. Abram has pretty much now disobeyed everything God has called him to do. God said, go to the land of Canaan. Abram left. God said, I'm going to give you an offspring. Abram sells off his wife. God says, go and be a blessing to the nations. And he's about to bring curses on Pharaoh. This is exactly opposite to what God called Abram to do. Verse 17 says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Right? Abram's sin in all of this is leading him to do the wrong thing, and yet God is still faithful to his promises. Even though in this story, Abram is the bad guy. Right? If you read this, who's actually or, uh, upright in this? It's Pharaoh. Pharaoh actually deals well. He is above board in what he does. He says, okay, your sister. And so Pharaoh actually gives a gift to Abram, right? That's what all the, the cattle and the people, right? That's a dowry to Abram to say, he, okay, I'm going to marry your sister. Here, have the, the bride price, if you will. And yet, what happens? Pharaoh is the one getting the plague, isn't he? Why is, why is Pharaoh getting the plague in this story? Now, just to be clear, plague actually... It, it's used in a lot of different scenarios, right? It's used in sort of the 10 plagues, right, in Egypt with Moses, when you've got hail raining from the sky, when you've got, you know, the water turning into blood and boils and cattle are dying, all of that. Those are plagues. It's also used to talk about skin conditions, right? So, so this word plague kind of means everything from, you know, death and destruction to a rash, okay? So, so what exactly is going on here? I kind of think it's closer to the rash, right? Essentially what God did is he sent a plague into Pharaoh's house so that he would not have his honeymoon night with his new wife. God is defending Sarai even though her husband is being so unbelievably foolish and disobedient. See, it's as if God is determined to be faithful to the promise he made to Abram to bless him despite how foolish and sinful he's acting. God is going to be faithful to that promise that he made. And so you might think, wow, that sounds great. If God's going to be faithful, doesn't matter what I'm doing. Hey, that sounds like a free pass to me. This is how Paul says it in Romans chapter 2. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, the truth is God is patient with us. He is faithful to his promises, but his patience is given so that we would have a time to repent. Not to continue on in our sin, not to live without any consequences. Actually, God has given us this time. He is patient with us, not so that we repeat our sins, but we repent from them. 
Not so that we would continue in them, but that we would turn away and have nothing to do with them. See, in the book of Numbers, God reveals himself like this. He says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. He is both slow to anger, he is patient, he is faithful, he is forgiving, and yet at the same time, he doesn't just let sin go. And so that leaves us with this just massive problem in this text. If God doesn't let these sins just go, why does it seem as though Abram goes unpunished? Look back at our text, verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was, she, uh, that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Right? The end of this story is Abram leaving Egypt with more than he came with. Right? Everything that Pharaoh had given him, he also leaves with. God is faithful to this promise. I'm going to bless you. And we ask, yes, but, but what about this sin? Does God just overlook it? Is he just not paying attention? If God doesn't clear the guilty, why is Abraham or Abram just walking away? And see, this is the last point this morning. It's that God will pay the debts. See, Abram's actions did deserve punishment. He sinned, he didn't follow God, he messed up, he lied, he put his wife in danger. So where is the punishment? Why is God able to be patient with Abram and his sin? Does God just not care? Right? I've heard lots of different answers to this question. People will say, well, you know what? It's just not a big deal to God. He doesn't really care. That's not really what he is concerned about, right? God just doesn't care. Or people will say, well, you know what, it's probably that God knew that if he lets Abram go, you know, his good deeds are eventually going to outweigh the bad ones. And so God's just kind of doing the scale thing, and Abram's going to do a lot of really good stuff, so, so give him a pass on some of the bad stuff. Now, beyond the fact that that's not how the Bible teaches us that sin works, if you just consider that for a moment, what it would be like to actually try and balance the scales if one good deed actually did earn and equal one bad deed. Think about how much you would have to do good even to come close to equaling because the Bible does tell us that God looks at the heart, not just the actions. It means, it means every, every sinful thought that enters into our mind, every sin, sinful inclination of our hearts would also rack up on that sinful side. And by the time you had done one good deed, there would be 20 bad ones just from the thoughts that go through our minds. In fact, the Bible tells us that even our good deeds, if they're not done with faith in God and seeking after his glory, just become selfish, self-aggrandizing exhibitions of our own sinfulness. 
See, the truth is we would never be able to even come close to balancing those scales. Even Mother Teresa wouldn't come out on the plus side. Not to mention that the Bible does tell us that God has a standard that all of us have fallen underneath. No, see, actually the Bible gives us a different answer. There's a reason why God is patient with Abram, why he can be so patient with us as well. It's because Abram's sin was going to be punished. It just wasn't going to fall on Abram. See, Paul asks the same question in the book of Romans, and this is what he says. He says, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, what Paul realized is that it wasn't that God didn't care about his sin. Actually, God cared a great deal. God cared so much that he sent Jesus to actually deal with the sin that we have accrued. It was because the punishment for Abram's sins were going to fall on Jesus that God was patient with him then. Instead of Abram facing that punishment, instead of him facing that wrath, it was placed on Jesus. Jesus would be the one who would live the perfect life, uphold that perfect standard of God's righteousness, and then the punishment for all of the sins committed in the Old Testament and all of the sins that we have committed fell on Jesus and not on Abram, not on us, so that anyone who would place their faith in Jesus would be saved. See, God didn't need to punish sins twice. He didn't need to punish Abram and punish Jesus. Jesus accomplished all of it. In fact, if you place your faith in Jesus, here's what I can say. God does not punish you for your sins. Yes, we're going to have to face consequences of our sins. Yeah, there, there are things that happen because we've made foolish decisions, and God's going to use those in order to help us grow in our walk with God. But there is a big difference between a consequence of a bad action and divine punishment of God. Jesus has taken the divine punishment, and God's going to use the consequences to build our faith. See, Paul writes again in chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Right, Paul knows someone's about to say, great, if God's not going to punish me for my sins, I can go off and do whatever. And he says, that is not the case. If you've been freed from your sins, you don't go back into it. Right? The slave who has been freed from his slavery does not rush back to his master, right? If you have been stopped from accidentally walking out into traffic, right? You're, you're paying attention to your phone and you're going and someone grabs you and holds you back. You don't say thanks and keep going. No, that would say you have no idea what you've been saved from. No, in fact, the Christian life is one of fighting against sin. Again, quoting Paul, he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But 
If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says you need to look at your sinful nature, all of those, those, those things that call you back and say, I owe you nothing. Even though it seems like, oh, I, I, just, I have to go back one more time. Paul said, absolutely not. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we put those to death, put them away. We have nothing more to do with them. Paul calls the Christian, by the Holy Spirit, put to death the sin that lives in you. Every time God pulls up the floorboards and exposes the sinful heart, we say, Holy Spirit, help me put that away. Be that gone that I might follow you more and more. See, we can actually lean on the Holy Spirit in these trials because they're not meant to defeat you. They're meant to help you follow after Jesus more. See, the story of Abram failing doesn't end with Abram. It calls us to look at our lives and say, I have fallen short, but Jesus has redeemed me. So what do we do when our heroes fail? First of all, it should remind us that we are also sinners, that we need to be fighting to be more like Jesus, to actually follow after his commands. It should remind us how amazingly patient God is, how faithful he is to his promises, and how great is the forgiveness that's rooted in Jesus, not in our performance. It's not about how good we are. It's about how great Jesus is. Because here's here's the funny thing. If you know the story of Abraham, you know he's going to do this again. Right? Just jump forward to chapter 20. You can read the story. Abram does almost this exact same thing again. And you know what we find? God is still faithful. Even as we struggle and we trip over these same things over and over and over again and we fight to get rid of them, we are not complacent because of the patience and the faithfulness of God. Rather, it is the reason that we fight harder because God is so good, he has allowed me to continue to fight. Christian, keep fighting because God has not abandoned you. So as we close, I'm just going to invite the worship team, come forward. We're going to end this morning in a time of worship. And as they do, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us for this very thing, that we would not become complacent in our sin, that we would not simply accept it as part of who we are, but rather as something to strive to follow after God more and more. Let's pray together. Father, we, oh, we thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord, that you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiving iniquity. Lord, that Jesus came that we might be saved. Lord, that we ha- though we have not done anything to deserve it, Father, we, we place our trust in you that you, are the one who forgives us that we might have eternal life with you. Father, thank you for these promises. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray, Lord, make us more into the image of your son today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.